Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 65 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to Jamie Fisher. Jamie lives in Connecticut, where she was told approximately a billion times that she had her hands full while raising four kids as a stay-at-home mom. Even so, Jamie, a TV game show winner, recently transitioned back into the workforce while fostering a newborn. With over 100,000 hours of parenting experience, Jamie is a strong advocate for both moms and babies. She runs a Facebook site called Hey New Mama and is in the process of interviewing moms and postpartum experts for her book on optimal care and feeding of new moms. Jamie also has ADHD. And Jamie, don't some of your kids have it too? Yes, they do. My son, Shepard, who has not been formally diagnosed, but I was just in the process of pursuing that right before everything got shut down. But he does, I suspect as well. Ah, well, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be talking with you. And I am so glad to be talking with you. So I just want to tell our audience that with everything going on with coronavirus, I was seeing a lot of women, both in and outside of our Facebook group, ADHD for Smartass Women, who were panicking. And somehow I just knew that you'd be able to offer some workarounds for these moms. Still, I have to admit that the fact that you have four of your own kids and now a newborn that you're fostering... I didn't know quite what possessed me to even ask, (laughs) but then I was so delighted when you responded and I loved what you told me. What you told me was, I don't have all the answers, but I have a process that I go through. Did I get that right? That's right. Yes. Okay. As far as just kind of bringing some semblance of sanity to what's going on for all of these parents who have ADHD kids and frankly, who don't have ADHD kids, who now are finding that they're homeschooling their kids at home. So I'm wondering, how are you doing with all this? Oh my goodness. Well, as we were just speaking at right for this interview, um, my emotions and my state of being have ranged from like hope and elation to depression, uh, sometimes in the same day and in the same hour. It's swung back and forth quite a bit. It's been an experience. But I feel like this is our third week of homeschooling here in Connecticut. We're starting our third week, and I think we're starting to find some sense of groove, I hope. That's what it feels like anyway. Wonderful. Okay. So before we go into what I really want to talk to you about, I'd love your readers to be able to connect with you. So can we talk a little bit about ADHD first? Absolutely. Wonderful. So can you talk a little bit about when you were diagnosed, you know, that whole kind of beginning thing? So I like so many people with ADHD as a young girl growing up through public school, felt a lot of the same feelings other people feel. I don't fit in. I'm stupid. Oh my gosh, I'm not getting this. Everybody else gets it but me. And I really remember constantly feeling, there was like an instruction book that everyone else got and somehow I missed the day when they handed it out. 
just that feeling was constant. And it wasn't until I got to college and my work study was working in the disability services office for students with various types of learning disabilities and other types of disabilities, well, physical um, impairments, as well as hearing impairments and visual impairments. And I was working in that office very closely with the director to help give students different types of accommodations. And you know, we offered people note takers and we offered people longer test times and we offered all kinds of things. But those were the namely some of the big things we offered for people with ADHD. And it's so funny because as I was doing, I was scheduling, I, I, was, I was in charge of scheduling the note takers and I was in charge of scheduling communication to professors to help students arrange longer test times. I told my boss, who I developed a wonderful relationship with, I said, hey, I think I would do better with longer test times. That's my number one problem. I get all the answers right, but oftentimes I don't finish the test. I just, you know, it just takes me longer or I I have a hard time focusing or I named some things. And he looked at me and he's like, have you ever been tested for ADHD? And I was like, no, but I've always resonated when people have talked about it. It felt familiar. It sort of felt like, hmm. For so much of my life, that term felt like it had a negative charge to it. But when people would talk about it, I didn't want to speak up and say, hey, that sounds like me because it had had so many negative connotations. But nevertheless, at the same time, I did feel like it resonated with me. It called to me. So he sat me down and did... Uh, some of the diag- he at that time had a PhD um, in counseling and psychology. It was licensed to do this kind of testing, and so he did it with me, and it was such a, a blessing because I didn't have to seek it out. And definitively, he was like, "Yeah, yeah, you have ADHD." <laughs> um, <laughs> and he probably knew before you even took the test, right? If you had been yes. working for him, <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's how I began this journey, recognizing what. And then it was a huge blessing because I realized within a university setting, all the things that are offered to people, um, just real simple things, nothing, you know, I'm still doing the work of a university student. And so is everyone else um, who has accommodations, but you're just allowed to work with some ways that your brain really needs to get through these things. So that was a blessing. And that's my story about how that happened. Wonderful. And so now you are the mother of four and you also just volunteered to be a foster parent to a newborn? Yes. Yes. Starting. (laughs) How's that going? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So we have five kids in our house right now, ages two and a half months to 12. So we have like the newborn phase and like the preteen phase at the same time. (laughs) You know, it's so much more beautiful than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) I guess I was scared. I was terrified, actually. Um, This is What made you do this, Jamie? Well, uh, fostering was something that's on my, my husband's a social worker for the, the Department of Children and Families. I believe in California, it's like CPS, the Department of Protective mm-hmm. Services or something, Child Protective Services, yes. So this is his life um, being involved in foster kids' lives. And it's been on our radar for years, just our love and passion for foster kids and the ways we see that the community and people can be helpful. We've talked about doing it. But it was something we said we would probably do five or 10 years from now. It's a bit of a long story, but the the short version is this little girl that we currently are fostering has an older sister who was adopted by one of my dearest friends. And when this baby was born, it wasn't able to stay with its mom. And so the first person they called was my dear friend and said, you know, you have the biological sister. Would you like to take another child? And she's currently a single mom. She is working part-time and she is a full-time graduate student. And she had a bit of a breakdown. She said, I don't think I can take a baby right now. And then, but on the other hand, she was like, I would love to adopt this little girl and have my daughter have a sister. So in the span of four days, we made the decision that we would step in and foster her in this interim while my friend's able to finish graduate school. So that's long, I know, but that's the story. And it was a very quick decision, but it meant that these two little girls will have the chance of growing up together. So it means a lot to us for families. For for foster kids, they lose so much. And my husband sees the outcomes all the time. And so it means a lot to him knowing that the outcomes for both of these little girls will be stronger if they're able to have each other in their lives. Well, that just gives me goosebumps, especially knowing that you have four children. You already have oh your my hands gosh. full. 
I had to get well, weird looks today, at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. I think there's this sense that ADHD women don't make good mothers. And I personally think that is total garbage because we tend to be so creative, we're spontaneous, we're fun. I think when we struggle, it's when we don't have the support from our spouses or whomever. And somehow there's this sense that raising children, taking care of the home, taking care of all the finances, I don't know, taking care of everything related to our kids' education, taking care of the family calendar, that somehow that's women's work, which it isn't, right? I mean, what do they say? It takes a village. And I think that handling all of this is a challenge for any brain. But you put all of that up against an ADHD brain, no wonder there are women out there, moms out there who think that, oh my God, I suck at this. And I I think you are the perfect example of someone with four kids, you have ADHD, and you are a kick-ass mom. I mean, you you love what you're doing, right? Oh, I absolutely do. I really love it. And I mean, despite myself, my kids are turning out amazing. <laughs> fits me, but they really, they amaze me every day. Uh, And yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, that this has been such a amazing and beautiful. And of course, motherhood at times is gut wrenching and, you know, brings you to all the most extremes of all of your emotions. But yeah, my kids are amazing. And being a mom is my greatest accomplishment by far. Well, and again, so the ADHD brain is a brain of interest. So if we have extreme interest in something, if we're having fun doing it, if we're passionate about it, I don't know how we could be anything but fabulous at it. Absolutely. And I I think there might be some, I don't know that motherhood is necessarily instinctual. I think some of the propaganda, especially for new mothers, that like, oh my gosh, I saw my baby and it was love at first sight. I know. Um, I think that's a little daunting for so many because that's not the story for so many people. It wasn't for me. I had my first baby and honestly, Tracy, by the time she was six months old, being a mom felt so hard. I I swore I would never have another child. Oh, look at you. (laughs) I swore that I was done. Um, (laughs) And so I guess I say that hopefully so other moms listening hear that like, oh, she has all these kids, but it wasn't necessarily natural or or it wasn't free of bumps in the road. So our only planned child is our second child. So that's some ADHD right there. Um, (laughs) And even the foster child wasn't necessarily long term planned. It was like a three day. Here's this decision now or never help this family or don't. And we made the decision to jump in. So also, I got better at it. You know, you any with anything, like I became hyper-focused on figuring out how to crack this and what my kids needed. And my first child just so happens to be um, my husband, on the other hand. So I have the ADHD brain. He is more on the autism spectrum, not ever officially diagnosed, but we, we mm-hmm. he's extremely literary. He gets extremely fixated and completely opposite of me. Of course, these opposites attract. I think you have a similar dynamic potentially in your relationship. Is that correct? Yeah. My, yes. my, yeah, my husband's total linear. Yes. He's um, a banker. I mean, yes. come on. <laughs> yes. Very linear. And so my first daughter, also my, my husband's an introvert, a very, which is interesting that he's a social worker, but he's an introvert. And uh, my first daughter is as well. And so I think I even as a very, I'm an extroverted person, just struggled to connect with her at first because I just realized this little girl got so overstimulated by, you know, adventures and people, all the things that I love. And so for a while, finding the balance between honoring her spirit and being her mother and being my own human being was a was a challenge, but one that I knew there was a solution to. And I really poured myself into child development reading and sort of hyper-focused on the details of making myself better at this because I guess even early in my motherhood, I just knew there, there's a growth mindset I had about all things, including being a mom. I, I could get better at it even if I wasn't natural at first. And that really is the key, isn't it? Just wanting to learn, wanting to be better, that growth mindset. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, we, we have four kids. I think both of them, my husband and I come from four child families. So I knew for sure we, I wanted to have three 
And then once I had three, I was like, oh, no, no, this is so many kids. Like I'm drowning. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then we got a bonus round uh, when we had our fourth baby. So um, but it's proved to be, you know, I wrote, was able to rise to those challenges and, and meet them. And luckily, I have done a lot of reading and research and child development. And I think as parents, we put this enormous pressure to be everything for our children. And it turns out like the research and the science just does not back that up. One of the quotes I looked up while preparing for this interview, there's a researcher in child development I admire a lot. His name is Ed Tronick, or Dr. Ed Tronick, I should say. He's an associate professor of pediatrics at Harvard. I think he's most well known for that still baby face experiment, which you may have seen on YouTube and people can look that up. But one of the things that he found in his research, which I hope gives every parent out there, every ADH mom, just the biggest sigh of relief. He finds that um, even the best parents are only attuned to their children 30% of the time. Um, (laughs) I love that. Yes. 30%. We can do this, man. We can do this. We can. And that's a huge load off. Um, Furthermore, my husband leads this type of, it's called circle of security parenting, but it's a type of parenting class for people that are struggling in their family dynamics. And one of the things they teach in that actually is that really you only need good enough parenting. (laughs) You don't need perfect parenting. You just need good enough. And like officially, like infant researchers say that the caregiver needs to respond or get it right with their baby only 50% of the time in order for good attachment to happen. So you don't need to be perfect and you don't need to stress that much. The kids are all right. They're turning out okay. Having two kids that are literally polar opposites as far as how they are in the world. I mean, in a lot of ways, they're very similar. But, you know, my son's the ADHD kid who, you know, he challenges everything. He's figured it out. And my daughter was, you know, valedictorian, always, you know, grades. I mean, I like I didn't I thought that she was so awesome because of me. (laughs) And then I had Marcus and I raised him exactly the same way. My husband and I raised him exactly the same way. And he's totally different. But it's funny how they end up just fine. And I don't really think we have all that much impact I mean, we think we have so much impact. Like if I do all these things, my kid's going to be top of his class and he's going to, you know, go to Harvard and blah, blah, blah. And I realized that, nope, they kind of have their own path and there's not a whole lot that I can do, you know, to to make it swing either way. They figure it out themselves. Yeah. And there's just so many other beautiful relationships yeah. and influences that come along, that come along. So parents are a piece of the pie, but luckily we're not the whole pie. And thank goodness, who's got <laughs> that kind of energy? Um, yeah. <laughs> but their yeah. peers are going to influence them, their teachers, their coaches, uh, other family members, you know, are going to influence that. And that's a beautiful gift. <laughs> so we should all, you know, just sink into that. Let that be. And that's, it's a good thing. And I think that they are who they are. I mean, when I look at both of my kids, literally when they were toddlers, you know, they like, you could already see who they are today was in there, you know? Absolutely. So, yes. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, so the they're babies even. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have this giant command center. I remember that about you. It sits in the back of, in your kitchen, right? I do. Yes. <laughs> Calendars, <laughs> we- spreadsheets, whiteboards. You crack me up, which is so not ADHD. And if I had had to be the one, if I was a stay-at-home mom who had to control all that, it would have been hell. Thankfully, I I did half, my husband did half, and it worked out. I did, you know, the stuff that was fun for me and that we needed to get done. And then he would do all the administrative details. Do you do all the administrative details? You must with all your spreadsheets. We work together on a lot of this. So I would say... Yeah, we definitely work in the realms of strengths and weaknesses. So like calendars Mm -hmm. and dates and times, um, you know, they're not my friend all the way, (laughs) although I've had to make them my friend because apparently that is the way the world works. Uh, On the other hand, my husband loves a good spreadsheet and it's like his love language, really. I think spreadsheets are... (laughs) 
<laughs> and paperwork, like you said, the administrative details. So he, let's see, I mean, I do, of course, out of necessity, I guess I've trained myself into like calendars and stuff, but he helped, I think in the last couple of years, we really had to develop a system where the family had like a visual calendar because let's say my 12 year old has a phone. So now she has access to like the family, like Google calendar. So a digital version. So but that's what you use? Yeah. Google calendar for everything? You know, I use it more and more. I don't, I believe it or not, I would love to come up with an ADHD calendar because I have like an idea and I've been sketching it out for what I want this to look like. But so far, yes, I do use Google calendars. And then our other kids are younger and they don't necessarily engage with a calendar digitally. Uh, So we do have a giant calendar on the wall um, that's just like a like a peel and stick. That's the command. You call it command central. Yes. It's like a giant decal. We ordered it on Amazon. It's like three feet big. It's huge. But then you can see like every kid has a different color and you can see what activity is happening when. And we actually have like a family meeting every Sunday night and we go over like, here's the strategy for the week or here's, you know, all the places we have to be or the appointments or dad's working late or mom's traveling or whatever's happening. We're able to go over that at that time. And and who set that up? Did your husband set that up or did you set that up? Well, uh, we that was a joint effort. We recognized I think it was it's in his strengths like he he's the one that uh let's see probably every couple of weeks he updates it cuz it is like a whiteboard calendar. You do have to like write the dates right. in. So he maintains it. But the initial system is something we kind of came up together because we just realized holy cow, there's a lot happening here and it will not um, we had a smaller, you know, paper calendar you get from Walmart or whatever, but we mm-hmm. recognize with all these kids now, as they got older, joining their own activities, having their own friend birthday parties, all these things. And with me working more, like we just needed to know, okay, what are, what are the details? And we need to have that visually accessible for all the people. And so will your kids go to that calendar and add things in or is it just your husband who does that? Yes. No, The um, our older children my three older children will do that, especially when it comes to things that we need to be aware of, like field trips, for instance, like on a field trip day, they may need money or like a lunch, like a special lunch. And I will forget that unless it's on the calendar. So they're in charge. I'm like, look, if you get the field trip slip, I'll sign the slip, but I want you to go put it on the calendar, um, which I would say has like an 80% success rate, you know, because I have a nine 10 and 12 year old. So between the three of them, periodically something gets forgotten. Um, But for the most part, it's been a really great thing that they can reach it and then take responsibility for scheduling their lives because ultimately there there are four of them. And I tell them all the time, like, look, I'm going to do my very best for you, but here's my limitations and I'm going to need you to step up and also help if this matters to you. And they do. Okay, so how are you handling (laughs) the coronavirus quarantining as far as all the kids there, homeschooling, blah, blah, blah? Do you have any advice for us? Yeah, I would love to talk about that. Um, So I think the very first week, so I live just two hours from New York City, and New York City is a bit of an epicenter for this. So immediately, this uh, in the neighboring state of Connecticut, we went into like lockdown very shortly after New York City became a problem area. So we've been in this just a tiny bit longer than I think other parts of the country. And I would say in the first week, my kids were home from school. My husband was needing to work from home, as was I. And one of the positions I was working in got cut because just is only an in-person job. You can't do it uh, remotely. Mm -hmm. And so I think we were all in a bit of shock, honestly, because you would think that we would be more productive. We've got all this time, like, you know, voice lessons and play practice and soccer, all those things were canceled. Um, Mm -hmm. But yet we look back on that week and my husband and I, at the end of that week, not only were we exhausted, but we just realized our house was a mess. And like, I don't think the kids (laughs) learned anything. Like I remember, they were like, having a field day. <laughs> we were like, what have we accomplished? And I was doing um, a little bit of reading and found that like shock and sort of paralyzation and exhaustion are all forms of a trauma response. And it was so good for me to hear that. And I hope your listeners hear that because that is totally normal. And we're all going to need to go through phases. There will be phases. Something that's been helpful 
too a little bit is there are blogs in China. People in China have written about their experience and they'll sort of say, like, yes. the first two weeks I was in shock and denial. And the second two weeks I began to accept. And the, you know, the weeks three and four, I became productive or whatever. The, they have a progression. So our, our progression was definitely exhaustion, learning new things, you know, learning all the things my kids needed to be to connect to distance learning with our school system. It was a huge learning curve. My husband needing to learn all the things he needed to do to connect to his clients as a social worker and to community partners. Um, it's another process that we're fostering. We have to figure out what's happening with visitation with her birth parents and um, this paperwork process we're going through getting certified. So it felt mentally taxing. Whenever you're learning something new, I hope we can have grace for ourselves and recognize, whoa, 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 like all of this new stuff, just because things have been canceled doesn't mean that we're not going to be exhausted. And to be okay with that a little bit and give yourself a whole lot of grace. So the first week was our shock week, I'll say. Our second week was like a roller coaster. And the process I want to talk to parents about a little bit is... I don't have answers exactly for what your house should look like during this time. I think everyone has different levels of comfort. You know, really strict routines feel really good to some people. And, you know, uh, more of a loose outline or <laughs> feels good to others. And I, I know that you'll find that for yourself. But I think it's really important for parents at this time to sort of... They need to do the, the the airline flight thing, like put your mask on first before you help others. And it is more important than ever that parents are okay. And I guess what I mean by that, I think there's a, a push right now to be like, be your best self, get in your best shape. You're in quarantine, eat the healthiest and right. come out of this your best self, which I'm like, holy cow, are you kidding me? <laughs> Just add more pressure, damn it. Exactly. So... I don't know. I, I don't do well with that. Like, that's not going to be the way that's... First of all, just because things have been canceled does not mean there's not a lot going on. And honestly, I don't know everyone's situation out there, but there's a lot to be grieved. People are losing jobs they love. They're losing weddings. They're maybe losing loved ones. There's the everyday normal stuff of like your own health problems or your own career problems that you had before this all started that are still stressors in your life. So the question I keep asking myself is like, if I was a houseplant, am I wilting? And <laughs> it's sort of a little cue to sort of be like, wait, do I need water? Do I need sunlight? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's really good. My humanity. Is my humanity being nurtured right now? Because I am going to be, we're allowed to swear on this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a shitty mom. If I am a wilted houseplant, if I am like just exhausted and dehydrated and not nourished. Um, and this isn't a push to be like, you know, you know, eat the right thing. So you come out looking your beach, you know, body or your, <laughs> I don't know, swimsuit best. Like, you're, you know, that's not it at all. I just hope that your patience level, your mental clarity, all those things are going to be something going to be so much better if you're able to just be nourished and hydrated and make sure you're doing things like getting outside. I mean, that helps your stress level so much and it's going to help you parent better and parent with more clarity and uh, form a plan for you and your family that works. So that's the first step I'd say in this sort of like idea of finding a process is take care of you, your partner as well. Like kind of if you have a partner, the two of you make that plan that you guys are okay. If you're a houseplant, are you thriving? <laughs> the houseplant inside you, is it thriving? I love it. Are you wilting? Yes. Um, the next thing I would just say is along that idea of um, people are coming up. I think you've probably seen them on Facebook. Like, here's a schedule for your family. It's mm -hmm. color coded and there's uh. you know, all these things. And, oh, your kid's only getting 30 minutes of screen time. And <laughs> I don't know. There's these ideas that we're coming up with these perfect plans immediately. And I know for sure in our first week we did not know what a good plan would look like for us. And even the second week during our family meeting with our children, we said, hey, here's a little bit of a system we're going to try out this week. And we want some feedback because we're going to be co-creators in this house of this quarantine experience because we all are in this together. It's not an individual thing for us. We have so many people and we need this to work for everyone here. We want everyone to thrive. So we did come up with an outline 
if you're a person out there who is, I got the schedule, you're practically a camp counselor by now, and you're nailing it, like this isn't for you. (laughs) Hopefully you're killing it and you feel good and that's awesome. But if you're a person out there who feels like the wheels are coming off the wagon and you're ripping out your hair and you don't know what you're going to do, particularly if you have very young children, like under five, and you're trying to work from home. Oh my goodness, that's a lot. What I might say to you is to start with baby steps and a baby step can just be a couple of rituals. So rather than having your whole routine down, because that's a lot of pressure, maybe you're not ready for that. And maybe the, you know having the full schedule up and out is not something you're ready to do just yet. Just finding a couple of rituals. Um, that are touchstones in your day for you and your child to connect and also just to have a moment. And this can be really simple, whether that's like the same song you sing at breakfast or a little dance break in the afternoon or whatever you love. Like, you know, I had a friend who lost her husband quite suddenly and was finding herself in a position where she was back in graduate school full time while raising three kids by herself. And she um, and I were talking and she remembers that season of her life. It was a year and a half where she was working and in school. And she's like, it was horrible. I never saw the kids and I felt like they lost their dad and me at the same time. And I would go to work and then I'd come home and I'd have to lock myself in my room and do schoolwork until I went to bed and her kids were a little bit older. I think they were like nine, 11 and 13, which is still pretty young. Um, But she said she would tell them like, look, I know I'm home, but I really, I can't have any disruptions right now. I need to finish my schoolwork, you know, but she created this little routine with them in the afternoon, which she would do tea time and she would brew a pot of tea and have fresh cookies and she would stop for 20 minutes a day and just pour them each a cup of tea and have tea and cookies and chat. And she tells me, she's like, do you know that they look back on that time in our lives? And they're like, mom, remember that awesome time when we used to do tea time every day? And she says, like, I'll look at them and I'll say, yeah, we did tea time because I literally wasn't spending any time with you. And they'll say, oh, I don't remember. I just played a lot of Legos, but I just loved (laughs) having tea time with you. I think we sometimes put this pressure on us to have... Something grand, which is the thing that'll make the difference, but oftentimes it's, it doesn't have to be grand. It can be small and it can be just a moment. It doesn't have to be a production. And so her kids don't remember that she was busy and stressed out. They just remember that she always took time every day for tea with them. And that's what I think we need to just kind of hold that in our hearts. That's what our kids are going to remember, you know, that we showed up or took moments Um, And if we're taking care of the houseplant inside of us, uh, (laughs) hopefully we will have the patience and the mental wherewithal to have those slowdown moments. And when we do make those moments, even if they're short, even if they're small, we'll be able to be present. Well, and this is the thing, Jamie, I'm sure there are a lot of kids who don't even get 20 minutes a day, you know, of uninterrupted time where it's all about them. Yeah, Yeah, it's, you can make small things very special. And that's all kids want. They just want to be seen. And they just want, Mm -hmm. they just want to know you're really there. So those would be my two things. Like if you're not a person that can quite find, um, you know, the, the play by play routine, hour by hour schedule, and that overwhelms you. That's okay, especially for us ADHD people. Sometimes we're not ready to have that vision. But we can just find a ritual or even two in the day, which help us connect to ourselves and our kids. Um, And that can make all the difference. It doesn't have to be complicated. You know what I've noticed too, and I think this is kind of in keeping with what you're saying, you know, just stop beating yourself up about it, you know, just kind of release the pressure in the tea kettle. Is that what I've noticed with the teachers too, is that they've really backed off. I mean, my daughter's in college and she's a senior and her professors have all basically told her, look, you're, we're just going to give you guys an A because what you're going through right now, this is just, you know, it's so important and it's so impactful and we want you to have good mental health and we're going to convene together. And what they do is they've taken their learning and they've extended it out to how they're doing personally, you know, and what this means for their future. And they've really tried to decrease the level of anxiety by doing everything that they can do that would make these kids feel better. And I noticed for my son, who's a senior in high school, 
I thought he would hate this because again, he's got ADHD and where's the structure? He is in seventh heaven. All his friends are so upset because proms got canceled and the senior trip got canceled and, you know, they're not sure about graduation. And he's like, you know what? I don't even care. What I love is the fact that I can get up at seven in the morning. I can get my homework done. So by, you know, usually 11 o'clock, I'm all done. I'm learning Tai Chi. I'm learning German. I mean, he's just, he's like, mom, there is so much in this world to learn and I have time to do it now. So mm. I think all of our kids kind of handle it differently, but I really thought we would all kill each other together here because my husband's working in our house too, but it's really worked out well. Now, keep in mind, it's only what, like two and a half weeks in and the wheels can come off the bus because you just can't leave your house, right? And I am not the kind of person who does well in that. I am always like, I really need to be out. I need to see things that are interesting. I need to, you know, explore and we're stuck here. But I'm surprised that I think at the beginning, I thought it was going to be worse than it ultimately has ended up being. Now, again, that could be week three, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I hope the other moms listening um, with this idea of homeschooling, too, because I think this is another area of stress, particularly maybe for moms of elementary school kids where there's Little a pressure kids, exactly. right, for you to really be the teacher and for you oh. to dictate their learning. There's a child development expert. Her name is Janet Lansbury. And she has a podcast called Unruffled, um, which I highly recommend if you're in the um, younger years, like preschool and early elementary school. But a lot of what she teaches about, I use in all my children's ages. And one of her founding principles, and I believe this utterly and truly, is that children are natural learners. There is no such thing as a child that is born and does not want to learn. Totally agree with that. Yes. And so we kind of have a bit of a gift here. I won't say a bit of a gift. It's truly a gift in some ways for your child that really loves structure. And for those out there with special needs children, this is a whole nother ballgame. And I recognize that there are so many things going on for you. But even to some extent, all families, including families with maybe children with special needs, um, this is a beautiful opportunity for our kids to explore their interests. and. With ADHD brains, we know that like when we have an interest, man, we are as driven as possible. And I've found that in my kids, actually. Two of my kids, I was struggling at first to really like do this, the quote unquote school curriculum with them. But I ended up just writing to their teachers and saying, hey, look, we've chosen four things to focus on. It happens not to be your work that you're assigning. This is not a disrespectful act. We're just using this very special time that they're not in school to do some things they wouldn't get to do, to learn and grow in other areas. And of course, their teachers, I mean, one of them's in first grade and one of them's in fifth grade. And they were like, they were very positive. <laughs> they were like, oh my gosh, do it. Like, enjoy your life. If your kid is jumping out, like, because my first grader really wants to learn Japanese. He literally jumps ah. out of bed logs into the computer and does this little online program by himself. He's six years old and he does it for an hour. It. He is just on fire. And Japanese is not in his normal curriculum. Um, <laughs> but he is so excited. And my 10-year-old son has really just taken a huge interest in photography. And we had like a fancy camera laying around that somebody gave us that I had never taken the time to learn or really understand. But he is like figured out how to use all the settings and he's loading them onto our computer and editing the images. And he took portraits of every person in our family and they can't, some of them are so good. Being able to tell a story or represent things in a visual medium is a huge skill, a valuable skill in life and in this economy eventually. So just because he's 10 doesn't mean that I tell him that his interests don't matter. Um, they do. They matter immensely. And what a blessing that he has the time now, like your son, to do this. Um, and if we let ourselves off the hook of a really strict structure um, and just sort of are open to the possibilities of what could happen, we might really be surprised and kind of stunned by the beauty of what comes out of our kids. And you're not hurting them or you're not ruining them. They are natural learners. Um, there's no such thing as a kid that's, that's not learning. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much. So can I ask you, are you finding that your teachers, because you have kids that are all kind of a span the spectrum, are their teachers really, um, 
I mean, are they are they still demanding or have they really kind of backed down and they realize what's going on with these kids? I think that there's some pressure from our district for certain outcomes. And so um, a couple of our teachers, I have a good relationship with most of the teachers as well. And they're like, look, we know you're doing something spectacular with your kids. And we're so thrilled to hear that you're letting them pursue the things they love. But could you just have them fill out these two things so that I can (laughs) say by the end of the week that these two things were filled out? And they're usually super simple and like, just like, here, answer these two questions. And I can say that like you turned in work. Um, So yeah, I would say... um, a couple of different teachers have a different style. Um, my third grader has a teacher who is very much a linear person, a rule follower, who she gives her a good deal of work every day. But my third grader is kind of liking that. I think she's liking the fact that the structure is the same, you know, the kind of the predictability. And so she is able to get all that stuff done, though, and a, a lot quicker than she was when she was in school. And so she loves that because she's like, oh, by like 11 a.m., I go play. Um Whereas in school, I was stuck doing this stuff till 3.30. Absolutely. And especially if they have quick brains, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So she was really bored in school. And now I would say she's actually doing better homeschooling than she was in school. She was not having a very good school year. That's so interesting. And I love what you also said about really looking at not only ourselves, but also our kids and looking for the joy and looking for those blessings. Like what would have never happened but for coronavirus. I mean, obviously, you know, people that are really sick and that are dying, that's awful. But there's not a whole lot we can do about that in our families, right? Right, right. So I love your your comment about, you know, really looking at our kids and, and getting them to see the beauty of what they're in right now. I mean, I just, what I keep saying is, when would I have ever had a couple months with my kids who are both seniors, one in college and one in high school, ever again in my life. They are all here, right? Mm-hmm. 24-7. And I thought that they would be mortified. And they're like, in fact, on Sunday, both of them said, you know what? I'm doing great. I love this. So Aww, I guess we're lucky. What a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to me, right? And, and hopefully to them too. Yeah. But I wonder about parents with younger kids and how much are the schools actually requesting of the parents? Because if I had young kids and I had to be their teacher. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. So I've homeschooled my kids outside of this coronavirus. I've had a couple of stints of homeschooling my kids for various reasons at different times. And I think that there is an idea. So back when I was homeschooling, I would, you know, talk to some of my my typical parents, the parents in like public school or private school, and like, what did you guys do with your homeschooler today? And at the time my daughter was in third grade and she just really loved reading. So I encouraged her. I was like, find out more about the publishing industry. We live really close to New York City. We might even be able to take a tour or meet a publisher or, you know, meet an editor or whatever. And so she did this wonderful research and began to correspond with some publishing companies and stuff and did get to learn a lot about it. And we spent like one day, we spent like just four hours just doing that. And then she played her violin and we called it a day. And so I, when, I, when I told them that, that one of our days looked like that, they're like, oh, aren't you so worried about her? And I was like, no, Ugh. I was, I'm not worried about her. Like, well, you, and they would say things like, well, you didn't do math today. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, and this is, I think the ideas we have about how children learn, just because this public school system dishes out math in in 20 minute increments on a daily basis, doesn't mean that's how your children learn or grow. Or need. Exactly. Um, We know that physical growth inside children actually happens in spurts. It's not gradual. And I mean, parents, you know that. I mean, of course, your kid wakes up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, they're a new shoe size. Or when they were a baby, they would fit into a onesie one day and literally the next day you couldn't put the snaps down, you know? So children have these spurts and learning and all of their development happens in a very similar way. And so to try to force them, especially if this is driving a wedge between you and your relationship, your good relationship with your kids, it does not have to look the way it looked at school. Math could be done baking or <laughs> there's so many cool little programs and apps. Um, if your kid is techie and likes that kind of thing, it's okay for them to take in that information in a way that they like and doesn't ruin your relationship. It's, in fact, that's preferable. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we just need no, to... I've always... 
avoid fear-based parenting. The idea that I'm afraid my kid isn't going to get the, you know, is going to be behind. I think we should avoid fear-based anything in general, decisions in general, but especially in parenting. Try to avoid when you know it's coming out of fear. Try to just stay curious about that and 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 hold off a bit on on throwing that onto your child, your fears. Absolutely. I always say, you know, that it's not about what you learn. It's that the kids can learn. Like they know how to learn, right? Not they're told this is what you have to learn. And it took me a while to get there because I have to tell you with my daughter, it was all so easy. So I had my nose stuck up in the air, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, parents, get your crap together. (laughs) I didn't realize that I wasn't doing anything. She was just like that, right? Yeah. So I'm so, I mean, I I say all the time that my son has been my greatest teacher. And if I had had two kids like Atay, I would still have my nose up in the air. I still would not understand you know, yes. what it even means to parent and how children are all different. And it's just so great that they are because, man, I'm I'm so delighted that um, I had the experience of being a parent to my son who wasn't always the easiest child. <laughs> yes. I mean, my first child's very much like that. She's in middle school and she has to be like, mom, she's a straight A student, like always going above and beyond. And she'll say, mom, all the other parents take an interest in their, and what she means is almost like a micromanaging. Um, right. They're constantly logging on to like the parent portal and finding out their grades. And she's like, mom, you never do that. I was like, honey, that's because this is your education. It's not mine. I'm like, also, I know that this is like part of your identity. And I want you to know that regardless of how you perform in school, I still love you. And because someday, it's not going to happen today, but someday you're going to get an F and it's going to devastate you because that's who you are. You wrap yourself up in this identity of of being a good student. And that's not my identity for you. I love you and believe in you with Fs, with Bs, with Cs, with As. And so for me to micromanage your schooling would be unhealthy for both of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really sad when you see parents behaving like that. It, it's it's upsetting to me. But anyway, I think there's a need okay. sometimes. But yes, I just want to yeah, I wanted to come that's up all with, about them. Right. Yeah, it absolutely. It has more to do with their insecurities than their children's. I wanted to come up with a list of people that did not go to school, but were massively successful. But I did not come up with a full list. But just now I was Googling. I was like, wait a minute, did Mozart attend school? And sure enough, no, never went to a school in his lifetime. And I hope parents just realize like before there was routine public school, which I do believe is a wonderful and beautiful advantage in our society, people still learned and they grew and they discovered things because they were curious, because they wanted to know. And that's how humans have always moved forward. And so it's okay, especially with our young kids, like let them be curious, let them play. That's how kids learn. And you don't have to feel guilty that you're not fulfilling your duties as like their quote unquote teacher. They are natural learners. I love that whole idea, though. You know, if they can get done whatever the bare minimum is that they need to get done for school and then look at them and, you know, ask, okay, what do you really want to learn about? Because I just love the idea of your son sitting there learning Japanese, probably because, you know, my son's done that too, because they're not getting a grade for it. They're doing it because they have interest. Yes, yes, exactly. I love it. Okay, so before I let you go, as we are nearing the hour, I would love to know, okay, in this environment right now, what is your number one parenting ADHD workaround? Okay. Well, for me personally, finding a time of the day where, because we're all in the house close together, I have two things. I find that when I get outside for any length of time, it sort of is an automatic, like almost like a reset button in my heart and in my soul. Um, if I was agitated, I feel better. If I was tired, I feel more awake. Um, it just is a help to me. So I'm making sure to get outside for something every day, even if it's just a walk with my dog or sitting on a porch reading a book. I'm outdoors, which is a big deal here in the Connecticut because we're it snowed last week here. <laughs> Um, so this quarantine went right from seasonal depression into quarantine depression for some people. (laughs) And that goes for a lot of people who are in Northern areas. Um, you were already cooped up a lot in the winter and then people are sort of extending that feeling of being cooped up, but I'm working hard to get outside. Uh, and the other thing I'm doing is that once, at least once a day, I'm doing something just for joy. 
no other reason. It's not for my job. It's not for my husband. It's not for my kids. It is just because I love it. Can you give me an example? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this morning I got up and early and it happened to be, I did a workout because I just also find with my ADHD brain that if I'm able to sweat a little and move my body, there's just much more clarity in my day. So that was one thing I did, but other things um, involve, I really love to dance. And so I'll go on YouTube and like find a choreographer who's teaching their routine and like dance for 20 minutes, you know. I'm not going to, nothing's going to happen. I didn't grow up taking dance classes. It's just something I happen to love as an adult. So I'm trying to do something, one thing every day that is just purely for joy. And my kids may participate with me, but it's not for them. It's because I love it. Yeah. So those are my two things. Love it, love it, love it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for spending some time with us here today. I cannot believe four kids, five kids, (laughs) a newborn, and you're spending time with us. So thank you so much for that. Now, where can people find you if they want to know more about you and what you do? So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So my name is Jamie Fisher on Facebook. On Instagram, my handle is Hey Jamie Fish. And I do have a Facebook site called Hey New Mama. And I'm working really hard to make sure new moms have the best information for taking care of themselves after they have a baby. Because oftentimes the focus is on caring for the baby. And I really believe that if moms are okay, babies will be okay. So it's a curated spot to find really good information and detailed information for moms to take care of themselves at Hey New Mama on Facebook. That's wonderful. And we'll have all the links in the show notes. Okay. So thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate all you do. This podcast has been such a blessing in my life. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Jamie, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. For me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids in school. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.